hear us through your AirPods or see us on your laptop, how about meeting us in real life? Because we're taking Queer Money on the road this summer and fall. Visit QueerMoneyPodcast.com forward slash tour or the link in your podcast player to find out when we'll be in your neighborhood. Do you have a poverty mindset? Would you even know if you did? Something we've noticed to be particularly prevalent in the LGBTQ community since we started the Queer Money Podcast over five years ago is that many of us think we're not worthy of abundance. We don't believe we have the ability to have more. We somehow feel comfort in a sense of lack. This is one of the reasons why we wrote the five building blocks of a happy gay life, created the Happy Healthy Wealthy Gay Men's Toolbox, and we'll be launching the Happy Gay Men's Club to help LGBTQ men specifically with overcoming limiting beliefs and creating a ripe environment for a happy life, 360 degree level of abundance. It's also why we invited Matthew Raymond, the life coach at Liberated Living, onto Queer Money episode number 275. Matthew shares his experience and that of his LGBTQ clients' experiences with a poverty mindset and how he and his clients have overcome it to live their best lives, just like you can. Now, get ready for a mic-dropping episode. There's personal finance for the masses. This is not personal finance for the masses. This is Queer Money. And now a quick word from our sponsor. Capital One's checking and savings accounts have no fees and no minimums. And with one of the best saving rates in America, you can rest easy watching your money grow with no fees to bring you down. You can open an account in about five minutes, which means you are only about five minutes away from getting your savings to grow with one of the nation's best rates. Join our movement to build a community of happier, healthier, and wealthier gay men by getting your free copy of the five building blocks of a happy gay life at debtfreeguys.com forward slash happy. So today on the podcast, we're going to be talking about a subject that I am very emotionally attached to. (laughs) We'll talk about later why that is the case. But we've invited Matthew Raymond on the podcast. He is a LGBTQ-focused coach, and he's here to talk with us about this whole idea of poverty and scarcity mindset. Now, Matthew, welcome. first of all, welcome to the show. Thank you so much for having me. I'm very excited to dive into this with you. Thank you. Now, you mentioned that you have your your coaching practice and you talk to folks and you shared with us that you see this topic of poverty or scarcity mindset coming up on a regular basis with your queer clients. So before we kind of talk about maybe the connection between poverty and scarcity mindset in the LGBTQ community. Would you just help us a little bit with this idea of what does it mean to have a poverty or scarcity mindset? Yes, absolutely. Great place to start. So poverty or scarcity mindset, they're kind of interchangeable terms, but it's essentially a mindset, a set of beliefs that there is not enough of something in the world. It's typically money and other resources like that, but it can literally apply to anything. But truly, it's rooted in the idea that there's just a limited amount of something in the world. And so there's not enough to go around. And usually it's tied to a sense, a lack of self-worth that you don't deserve to have enough or a lot of something. And therefore you either need to fight for it or you're never going to get it. Or when you do have it, you need to hoard it. It can lead to a lot of different kinds of behaviors, but it's rooted in that there's not enough to go around idea. <laughs> I think when you said hoarders and behaviors, a lot of us got <laughs> a picture in our mind, right? We've all seen that TV yeah. show of hoarders. So it's interesting because what you just mentioned about the definition 
and this idea of having to fight for it is something that I think a lot of queer folks are used to doing, is fighting for things, right? Why do you think that that the scarcity mindset or the, the poverty mindset is prevalent in the LGBTQ community, especially with the folks you've worked with? Yeah, it's a great question. I mean, if I think about my own experience growing up gay and a lot of the, the queer people that I know, we grow up in environments where we are constantly barraged with messages of you are not enough, you don't deserve, you're never going to have. I mean, I can't tell you how many times I heard gay people will never get married, they'll never have a family, they'll never find love. And even being gay, it's like the, the idea of I have friends, but I might lose them. I have family, but I might lose them. We internalize so much that we are not enough and we are not worthy as we are because of our identity and our sexual orientation, that that becomes the primary mode of operating in all areas of our life. So I would tend to agree with you 100% of what you just said. I'm also curious if in your work with your clients regarding specifically a poverty mindset, if you think there's any overlay in the maybe a limited understanding of how money works in that I think a lot of probably comes from the fact that we're not necessarily living in a capitalist society, we're living in a corporatist society, sort of a perversion of, of what the intention was, was meant to be. And I wonder if if you think that some of that also might tie into the idea that many of us seem to think that there's a limited supply of money and that only a few people have access to that limited supply. Yes, 100%. I was never taught about money. It's, it's only now in my adult life I'm finally beginning to understand how it all works. And especially depending on where you grow up, it's very easy to internalize. Some people have money and some people don't. And that you know, there's something innate in you that will allow you to be one of those people that has money and everybody else is just sort of left to the side. And that lack of understanding and lack of financial skill on how to make money, how to save money, all of that absolutely plays a factor in this. Uh, yes, 100%. Because I think so many in our community, and, and it's not just our community, I think a lot of people have this challenge that they think like the, the supply of money is like a pizza pie, that there's only a limited amount that's yes. available and that, and that the 1% have it all. But not acknowledging the fact that the country is literally printing money hand over fist, so there's always more. Um, and that we all actually, if we you know do the right things and put in the right effort, and, and if there's a little bit of luck involved, we can have access to some of that supply of money as well. Yes, 100%. And that, that's the mindset. That's the, what you're talking about is getting into the opposite of poverty mindset, which is the abundance mindset. And that is believing there is enough to go around. There's, it's not a finite amount. Awesome. So we'll touch on that a little bit later, I think. What I, I did think was very interesting, though, is you kind of drew on this fact that it's not just money. Poverty and scarcity is not just about money. It can be about so many other things. And it was very interesting. You brought up this idea of we don't think that we are going to be loved or we're going to have friends or family because we come out. I very specifically remember when I came out to my parents, my father saying to me that I would never be happy and I would never find true love. And mm. I don't know why that was so scary to me after I came out that I wouldn't find somebody. I worried that I wouldn't find somebody who to actually truly, quote unquote, truly live happily ever after, find that kind of love. Um, so 
it's it's interesting that you talk about that it's it's other aspects of our lives that could then be creating this kind of thought process within us that bleeds over into the other aspects of our lives. Yeah, I mean you hit the nail on the head with that one. I mean the the way that mindsets and belief systems work is they don't just pick one lane and that's that's the only thing that they will apply to because it's deep it's so deeply rooted in our sense of self and our sense of worth, what we deserve, what we think we're capable of. And so if we are internalizing from an early age that because of who we are, some, a part of us that we cannot change, that means that we may not deserve to find love and happiness and meaning from life, then of course, we're going to start to think every area of our life is going to be like that. We're going to have to fight for everything. We are not going to ever have a satisfying or fulfilling life. And that includes money, but it includes relationships. It includes possessions. It includes opportunities, abilities to do things and live your life a certain way. I mean, one of the, the tenets of a poverty mindset is a huge fear of taking risks. And I'm sure you've talked about on this podcast just like what a lack of risk, risk taking can do to living a very full life. Absolutely. So we have these sort of dueling forces that are kind of holding us back, right? We have this scarcity mindset uh, because of conditioning that we won't be loved, we'll never have enough, we won't have a good career because we're gay, we'll, uh, we won't have family or friends because we're gay, but then we also have so somewhat of a limited understanding of how money works. So we just kind of, we're kind of conditioned to think that, uh, specifically with money, that there's never going to be enough or that I can't have any. Do you think that this is more common in the queer community than the general population? I do think so. I think different subsets of communities experience it at higher levels. I definitely think race and class factor into this as well. But again, because of the unique experiences that queer people go through and the amount of you are not enough, you are never going to have XYZ that we internalize, I think that there is probably a higher proportion of queer identifying people who likely have some form of scarcity mindset going on. That's interesting. I, I guess there's all sorts of topics and ideas that come up when we think about this, especially when we tie it to money. But let's just take a look at the overall. Why do you think that having this or how does having a poverty mindset or, or scarcity mindset, how does it really hurt us? Hmm. Great question. The way that I think it hurts us is, first and foremost, it just limits us. It holds us back. It prevents us from reaching our full potential and, and really doing the things in life that we want to do or that we're meant to do. It makes us act out of fear. Most of our decisions will come from fear-based thinking rather than something that we truly believe in or want or hope to gain. And it, it's... Uh, many of us, myself included, when we're operating from a sense of fear and limit, we're not operating according to our true values. When we don't believe we deserve abundance, we're also not going to accept it when it comes. So even if something right. does come at your door, you're going to be terrified of it, not know how to handle it, and actually probably run away from it. Interesting. I love that. I, well, I don't love that it happens, but I love that you say that. <laughs> right. I love your explanation. I, I'm I'm curious how much this kind of poverty mindset and the the pushing away the opportunities or maybe not even seeing that they are opportunities for us to take yes. advantage of or the fear so we don't take the steps to actually get ourselves to a better place financially plays into 
the gender, sexual orientation, and gender identity pay gaps. I'm kind of wondering if that it's it's not just the downward pressure from those above, but sometimes it's a downward pressure from us within. Oh yes, I know what you I know what you mean and I agree with you. I do think that there are systemic issues and policies that are preventing women, people of color, LGBTQ people from rising to the top, making money, leading. But I also believe because that's how society functions and those are the messages we hear, members of those groups internalize that information and believe that it's true. Right. And if you believe that it's true, you're not going to fight and resist it. And that's how those systems win. That's how they succeed. I'm, I'm kind of wondering if this is, to a certain degree, becomes a self-fulfilling prof- prophecy, right? Because because we say that a lot of this could probably be subconscious, because we say, I'm not worthy, I'm not good enough, that subconsciously we don't try to excel. We don't try to do the. I think that there are probably people who go both ends of the spectrum, right? There's yes. those people who over excel or yes. try to over excel because they think they will never have enough. And then there are people who just kind of give up because they never, it, it's, it's very almost uh, parallels the comments I see in a lot of gay men especially gay men who have lived or been around individuals who've experienced or been a part of the HIV epidemic. Mm-hmm. Yes. And they say, "Ah, eh, who cares? I'm probably going to die young anyway. Yes. Right? So it kind of parallels that, that we kind of give up on financial success. We give up on abundance. We give up on love because we just, we just don't think it's available to us. Yes. We just, we don't believe that it'll actually happen. So why try if it's not going to happen? This is reminding me of of two clients that I have that both experienced this way of thinking in two very different ways. One client in particular really wanted to change jobs and possibly they thought, I want to go for a higher position than the one I have now, but truly did not believe that they were qualified for it. And and through coaching and, and getting curious and exploring it, they were able to realize like, oh, no one's ever 100% qualified for every single position they apply for. It's It's my belief in whether or not I think I might be able to get it or not that's mm-hmm. going to stop me from applying for the job or not. Yes. And then – a second client on the opposite end of the spectrum is taking every single job and opportunity that they get offered, um, even though they don't have the time to sustainably do it all and they're burnt out because they believe, well, the money's going to run out sometime, so I got to work as much as I can while while I have the opportunity to. Interesting. <laughs> yes, I've seen that too. When you were talking about the first example, it reminded me of, and I know I'm not going to get the statistics right, but there's a huge gap of when a man or someone who identifies as a man looks at a job application. And when they look at it, and they see that they hit the mark on roughly 50% or so of Mm -hmm. the requirements, they will go ahead and apply for it. They will just apply. Yep. Right. Versus women. And I think it's something in the 60 or close to 60 or 70%. If they don't hit 60 or 70% of the qualifications, they won't apply for it. And it's exactly, a, it's a, it's a really kind of a mind fuck that we all do for to each, to <laughs> ourselves, right? Yes, 
Absolutely. And it's it, back to our previous conversation. It's about that social conditioning. I mean, straight white men in particular, cisgendered straight white men have so much privilege because that's the world. That's how it works. So if they see themselves in positions of leadership and power, they're not going to have a second guess about going for a position of power. But for every other identity and community, because we don't see ourselves in those positions regularly and consistently, we have all these doubts about whether or not we deserve to be there. Absolutely. That's why we need more queer people in C and E suites and companies. And we need more queer entrepreneurs who are paving paths of success for people who come up behind them. (laughs) So it's interesting because what we're talking about here kind of makes me wonder, I'm thinking about the internalization. I'm wondering about this really strong vocal minority within the LGBT community and and society in general who have a very strong, let's eat the rich anti-capitalism mindset. And I'm mm. kind of curious if you think that those mindsets kind of parallel or maybe contribute to a poverty mindset. That's a really good question that I actually I want to think about a little bit because for me, I think I think I would separate the eat the rich mentality and the anti-capitalist mentality. When I think of people who are like, quote unquote, eat the rich and anti-rich people, I actually see the poverty mindset there because the, a true abundance mindset says there's enough for all of us. But the, the eat the rich folks, it, it feels like to me they're operating from a place of, well, if you have a ton, that means that there's not enough for me. Right. And, and that's poverty mindset. However, anti-capitalism, I identify as anti-capitalist because I don't believe a capitalist way of existing enables enough individuals to feel independently, autonomously worthy of abundance. We are often dependent on the system for abundance. And so I think that folks who are trying to evolve our current form of capitalism, not capitalism philosophically, but how it manifests in America, are doing so from a place of my worth is not dependent on my job and how much an employer says I'm worth. My worth comes from me. Thank you. I think it kind of, kind of, I'm glad you separated the two and talked about how they can be different. I kind of wonder sometimes if the internalization of the poverty mindset is what makes people feel like there's some sort of heroicism in poverty. Um, yes. In not being rich. Oh, I'm not, I'm not rich. So I'm not like those r- bad rich people. And so, Yes. Uh, but I kind of see how you what you're saying is that the value value derived from an individual is kind of taken away so much in the capitalistic culture that we live in today. Yeah, and and what you just said, if if I can share a little bit about my personal experience, because uh, it reminded me of that. I grew up. Catholic, <laughs> going to church every Sunday, went to Catholic school from first to eighth grade. And for anyone listening who is familiar with Catholicism, poverty is really like raised up on a pedestal and any sense of like trying to, to gain an amount of money or having pride in what you do or how much you have is really frowned upon. And so I, internalized very deeply this belief of like, nope, 
play it small, have, have just like a, a good job where you can take care of yourself, but don't shoot for the stars because you're going to get a big head and that's going to go against what our religion teaches us. And so even after leaving Catholicism, I still ha- was holding on to those beliefs. And when I met my husband, he had all these big lofty dreams about our life, the kind of uh, house we wanted, the way he wanted to live. And that terrified me because I had so deeply internalized like, no, 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 no. Like that's not the way to live. There's something wrong with that. That's just, that's prideful. That's sinful. We need to be modest. We need to be meager. And I've had to do a lot of work on myself and allowing myself to, to dream bigger. Yeah. I I love that you bring in the co the, the religious aspect of this. One of the things that blew me away was when I heard the, more historical definition of it'd be harder for a rich man to get into heaven than a camel to get through the eye of a needle or something to that effect. Yes, that is it. Yep. I've heard that growing up. And so that has been used so many times to basically tell people you cannot be rich, you shouldn't be rich. But the reality is, is that if it's taken literally, no camel will ever get through an eye of a needle. So that means that no one will ever get into heaven. (laughs) But the historical interpretation is that the gates into cities back then had this kind of wishbone gate that looked like a needle, like an Mm. opening in a needle, and that that's where the camels would walk through. And it wasn't easy for the camels, especially if they were loaded down with lots of stuff, it was harder for them to get through, but they would get through. And it's kind of this whole idea of how people of power have have basically used the scripture or used yeah. their positions of power to keep people poor. <laughs> Absolutely. Yes, Just so everyone knows, I'm a recovering Catholic too, and David used to be an <laughs> elder in his church. <laughs> yeah, I, I was raised a Jehovah's wow. Witness. So <laughs> that's, a, that's a, a, again, is a very prevalent thing in, it is. in the church, is this whole idea that you cannot be rich. So yes. how, how do we determine... If we ourselves have this poverty mindset. Yeah, it's not always very apparent. Like we were talking about before, I think you mentioned it's often subconscious. And so you have to be really, really reflective and critical about the decisions you're making and how you're approaching things. If you're taking risks, taking a look at like, okay, how am I showing up at work? Am I asking for a raise or a promotion or going for that? What am I doing with my money? Am I am I saving it all and afraid to touch savings? Or do I feel comfortable spending it wisely? Um, another, another thing that I've seen with people is socially within friend groups, if they have a poverty mindset, they'll often be very nitpicky about spending money with friends. And so like you go out to dinner with a group of people and it's like, nope, I'm only paying for the exact things that I ingested that I bought, those types of things, they don't always mean you have a poverty mindset, but they can be signs that you have somewhat of a uh, unhealthy relationship with money. So it's interesting because if we hold on to a belief, then that means it's doing something for us, right? There's some value it provides for us. Why would we hold on to these kinds of beliefs and patterns in our life? Yes. So that is a phenomenal, phenomenal thing to talk about in terms of beliefs. We, we learn them because they are there to serve a purpose. And usually that purpose is to protect us or keep us safe in a specific environment or situation. Or 
we learn them because they're simply passed on to us from our family, our community, whatever we see. We kind of mimic what we see. But then it serves the purpose of helping us to fit in with whatever community or family that we're in. The trouble is that once we grow and evolve, we leave home, we go do different things, we're out in the world, those beliefs that were helpful in keeping us safe before are now maladaptive. They're no longer going to help us and serve us. And that's the trick is that these beliefs are so deeply unconscious that like they just stay there. They don't change when we change environments or life situations. It's very interesting. You bring the, the point up of how it affects us in the community that we're in. Cause I think all of us have been in the, uh, especially coming from religious backgrounds have been in the position where we're in the group when they're talking about the quote unquote rich people in the church, right? Oh, they're probably mm. not as good. They're yes. probably not going to blah, 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 whether it's go to heaven or whatever the case may be, right? There's this kind of, we've used these as shields to kind of, protect ourselves and to point out the the fallacies or the bad things in other people and how how pathetic is that we use that are you well, saying I, yeah. that religious people point out other people's toothpicks and faults <laughs> right exactly <laughs> And yeah. and again, if you hear that growing up, you're going to internalize, okay, so if I want to be considered one of the good ones, then I need to have this belief as well. Right. And I and I guess in the same the same thing goes for our group of friends within the community. If we have friends that are stuck in a poverty mindset and they're expressing that in their behaviors and their actions and their words and we want to stay within that group of friends, yes. we may adapt our behaviors and our conversations and our mindset to that as well or it may enhance the ones that we already have. A 100%. Yep. We're constantly seeking how can we fit in? This podcast is sponsored by Capital One. Capital One is redesigning the banking experience by offering simple, straightforward, and seamless ways for you to bank from almost anywhere. So banking fits into your life, not the other way around. Does somebody who has a poverty mindset always have to be poor then? Oof, that's a good one. (laughs) Um, The short answer is no. There are many people with a lot of wealth that are still operating from a poverty mindset and might have even acquired that wealth because of their poverty mindset. So there was a movie, a documentary, or I should say a movie about John Paul Getty that came out a few years ago. And it was uh, John Paul Getty is the the oil baron who made millions and millions of dollars. And at the time, it would be an equivalent to a billion dollars to what we have today. What did you say? Billions. I think he when he died, he had four billion dollars yeah. or something like well, that. And he he helped. Um, you know, he was he's the one who funded the Getty Museum in L.A. and, and a couple of other philanthropic endeavors. But in the documentary, they they had his either his accountant or his attorney finally say to him, like, John, how much more money do you need? Are you ever going to have enough? Mm-hmm. And at the, the time, mm-hmm. he had you know millions or billions of dollars, and he said, "I will never have enough because I can always lose my money." And so I think yep. that kind of exemplifies, I'm not sure exactly how true it is, but I think that can, that sort of exemplifies that regardless of how much money you have, you might always have a poverty mindset and that might always be fueling in a healthy or unhealthy way, your pursuit of, of more and more money. Yes. It's never enough. Something can happen to it. I could lose it all tomorrow. That is all operating up the sense that like, if it's gone, then that's it. And my worth and my value is attached to it. Absolutely. Why do people get to this place? Why do we, 
I mean, we've talked a little bit about religion or family upbringing and things like that. How much does all of that play into this? Are, are there other factors that may cause us to adopt this or sink into this poverty mindset? Yeah, I think there are so many ways um, and so many factors that can contribute to this. Um, things we haven't talked about. I, I mean, I think family is a big one, right? Family contributes to a lot of our internalized beliefs. And so if you grow up in a family that um, has this type of a relationship to wealth and to money, chances are you're going to come out of that family with the same relationship to wealth and money. That was the case for me, for sure. My family certainly believed that there was a limited amount in the world and and it just wasn't for us. We didn't have that kind of luck. And there was a lot of jealousy and resentment towards individuals who did happen to have that kind of luck. So family is a big one. And and also just, I think I touched on it before, but I like class and race is a huge part of this. If lower class individuals, low SES, many communities of color are just barraged with similar messages as the queer community that you don't deserve, you are not enough, you're never going to have. They internalize the same type of belief around wealth and money as well. Yeah. So I I mentioned at the outset that this is something that I have a lot of emotional attachment to. So I'll tell you a little bit about my my story and why, and I'll be honest with you all, this is something that I have always struggled with and I will always uh, struggle with it because upending those neural pathways and creating new ones isn't an easy process. Um, So hard. Yeah, it is. I mean, even though we talk about money and have good money habits, I still hang, for some reason, I hang on to those those early neural pathways. So when I was, um, I think I was about six or seven, my father decided to become a Jehovah's Witness. And uh, he had a very well-paying job. Uh, and my mother wasn't working. And when they made that decision, my father took a different job. And he basically took a 50% cut in pay. And that was the point where our family started to struggle financially. I went on school lunches. My sister and I went on school lunches. Um, my mother made a lot of our clothes, so we stood out at school. Just all of the things that come with kind of going from being a middle-class family to being basically at the poverty line. I think that was the one big triggering event that caused us as a family to start down that path. But then I think layer on top of it, religion, and both my parents were raised Catholic, so they had that, I think they themselves had a little bit of a poverty mindset, but I just heard it over and over and over again, right? We don't have enough money for that. You shouldn't want that. That's bad. We, you, can't, you can't have those that many things. That's not fair. All of that kind, those kinds of, and I think that's where I personally started down the path of having a poverty or a scarcity mindset uh, and have struggled with it for a long time because I do have, I I do think from time to time I, I get stuck in this, okay, especially I think last year we had a very difficult year with our finances. And so that really kind of drove me back into difficult year with our income because of COVID, um, that I think that drove me back into a little bit of a standing in one side of abundance and standing in one side of of scarcity. And so uh, it's hard to kind of get root up or get rid of those. 
Thank you so much for sharing that story with us. I definitely really resonated a lot with what you had to say about, about your early childhood experiences. So I, I just mentioned, and sure, first of all, sure. I think, <laughs> I think that we all, we, I think it's important for us all to talk about those kinds of things. Um, because, you know, Brian Faldodo said on the podcast several weeks back, um, he said that no one is walking around healed. No one is a hundred percent, right? And I think if we mm-hmm. not that not that we want to glorify or bring attention to these kinds of things in a a way to honor them, we want to kind of talk about some of our mistakes and some of the issues that we have to try to get on the path to healing. But I think that's why we need to share them. But I while I was sharing that, I talked about the difference of the contrast of a poverty mindset, and that is an abundance mindset. So what is to you, what is an abundance mindset? Yeah, I think an abundance mindset is the the genuine belief that there is enough in the world and that not only is there enough, you deserve to get as much as you want of it, whether it is money and wealth or whether it's relationships or opportunities, there's enough to go around and you innately deserve to have it. So I guess then kind of the, <laughs> I'm going to be a little passive aggressive here intentionally. <laughs> Aren't people who have an abundance mindset just greedy and shouldn't we hate on or judge them? <laughs> <laughs> that I like that. I like that comment. What kind of vibration do you want to set, David? <laughs> right. Well, I think I, I, I'm talking about the let's eat the rich, right? There's, I think there's, there's a, there's that kind of go, they maybe go hand in hand of, of people who feel like it's not fair, it's not right to have an abundance mindset. Yeah, and I think similarly, I think if you're rooted in a poverty mindset, then of course, you are going to see somebody that has abundance as like, well, you're taking away from me. But I I think a true abundance mindset operates under the sense of this is for all of us. I don't want to have all this money and have you be poor. Like I want all of us to have whatever it is that we want. I also think that there's this misconception that abundance means you're going to be a billionaire. Not everybody in the world needs to be a billionaire. I think it's about like what is it that you genuinely want out of your life? What Some of that may be attached to money and wealth, but some of it may be attached to a lot of other things. And you might find you have a very full, satisfied, happy life without getting a billion dollars. I love that you say that because we often, that's the whole crux of the five building blocks of a happy gay life, which is the guide that we wrote and available at debtfreeguys.com is is the first thing is to figure out what is it that matters most to you. It's not what matters to everyone else. It's not what matters to your mom and dad or your friend group, what matters to you. And you get to define what abundance means to you. And that might mean having a fat bank account, or it might simply mean having enough to get by and feeling comfortably secure from from month to month. But you get to define that. Um, And I think a lot of us don't give ourselves the opportunity to define what that means to us. We're always more concerned about what everyone else is projecting onto us. Yes. And and we're listening to all of the social shoulds. You Mm -hmm. should have a house. You should have five kids. You should be able to go on an international vacation every year. But if those things don't make you happy, then don't go for them. 
Clearly, you're a Catholic if you're in a community of people telling you to have five kids. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> I know. I said five, and I was like, oh, boy. Or a Mormon. <laughs> Seventh-day Adventist. There's lots of different religions. That <laughs> I know. But he said he's Catholic, so I'm going right. with what no, he said. I understand that. <laughs> yeah. yeah. You know, it, it's, it, it is interesting that you say that um, abundance mindset doesn't mean you have a billion dollars, because I think so many people get – they have this – like unbreakable connection between abundance and lots of money. And they Mm -hmm. don't think about all the other things, right? What does having enough money provide? It provides freedom of time, because then you don't have to be constantly struggling with work. It provides freedom of location. If you do not feel safe or comfortable in the city that you're living in or the place in the city that you're living in, it allows you to move. It maybe gives you the freedom of health because you can actually afford to have the health care you need. I'm thinking specifically of folks in the trans community who do need financial abundance to be able to get good health care. Because there is a lack of it, because there's just a lack of qualified individuals who can help them. And so there's, I think that there's a, we need to break the link between abundance and money and think of abundance and the other aspects of life. Yes, a thousand percent. I think about my life in the last year. I was working at a nonprofit. I was a manager of a team. I wasn't making loads of money. It was a nonprofit, but it was a safe, secure job. And then COVID happened and I got let go. And I immediately fell right back into my poverty mindset. And I was just panicking. Oh my God, I need to find another job. I need to make X amount of money. Like, what do I do? What do I do? What do I do? Eventually I was able to get myself out of that and think, okay, I want, I, I want to operate from an abundance mindset. What does that mean for me? That means I'm living in line with my values. Mm-hmm. I'm trying to, to follow my mission and my purpose in life and not do something for money. And so that's what ultimately led me to start my coaching practice. So aligned with our, our messaging. I, I think we need to break the, the connection between abundance and being a billionaire. But I think we also need to, to, to acknowledge that being a worthy person doesn't then mean the opposite that I'm, that I'm in poverty. There's a middle space for each of us. And when that middle space isn't the same, I guess, space for each of us. Um, it's different for everyone, but it's not necessarily being on either one of the extremes. A thousand percent. Because you do, you need to take care of your needs. You need to, you need to be able to live a safe, comfortable life. Right. And because we're talking about the, you know, the, the Maslow's hierarchy of needs, you do need to cover your, your necessities, food, clothing, shelter, healthcare. Yes. Uh, and you want to have enough that you can meet those basic needs so you can start to, to climb up the higher rungs of, of that, of that grand pyramid. So I think that one of the things that may help folks is to think about just outside of their themselves, right? So how can having an abundance mindset actually help not only ourselves, but actually help the LGBT community? Ooh, yeah, that's, that's a really fabulous topic. One of the things that I see happening with the LGBTQ community, despite society becoming a lot more tolerant and open-minded, many of us still feel like we have a very small place in society, if we even have a place in society at all. And, and many of us are playing it small. We're not, we're not taking risks. We're not dreaming big. 
We're not taking up positions we may want to take up. And so I think that if more queer individuals were able to develop and work on having an abundance mindset, I think that's going to lift the whole community up. It's going to send a message to greater society that like we are here, we are worthy. Our worth is not dependent on what heteronormative society says. We are setting the tone for what we are capable of and what we're going to accomplish as a community. One of the things that may help with that uh, and I, I 100% agree with what you just said. I, I think that one of the things that may actually help with that is if the LGBT community, the queer community, was more financially sustainable themselves, so there wasn't always this appearance of or actual proof of looking for a handout, right? Yes. You don't have all of these LGBT organizations that are having to go to corporations, government agencies, other organizations and saying, we need you to give us money because we can't take care of ourselves. And if we can become sustainable, self-sustaining as a community, then I think there would be a level of respect that would then come from outside of the community that we are able to take care of ourselves. And then there would be less of a maybe a looking down on the community because we do have so many financial needs, but that we could then also be part of the group that gives back, not just our own community, but to the global community. Yeah, I agree with you 100%. Well, I think that would not only influence how other communities look to or look at the LGBT community, but that then would also give us as a community the autonomy to say, this is what success looks like. This is what an economy for all should look like. We would have more influence in all of that if we had, if we were not only self-sustaining, but we were thriving. Yes. And how we see ourselves would change dramatically. This is especially important for young queer people um, who, especially if they're growing up in communities where it's not safe to be gay and they don't have any gay representation, they're not seeing successful queer people uh, who are living abundant, fulfilled lives. All they're hearing are the horror stories about homelessness, uh, HIV AIDS, suicide. And so, you know, if we are able to give that example and representation to young people across the country, oh, it would do so much for young people's mental health and well-being. Absolutely. Well, that's an awesome segue to my next question. <laughs> How can more LGBT folks in the, L in the LGBTQ community adopt an abundance mindset, including younger folks? So I like to, as a life coach, I like to lean on like practical tools that folks can use. So if it's okay with you, could I walk you through a couple um, exercises or tools that, that I use with folks? Oh, I'm scared, but yes, yeah, that's... maybe David, maybe David should do this one. <laughs> yeah. I've already come out about the fact that I still have an anchor in the poverty mindset, so to speak. So here's a, a really great exercise I like to use about beliefs. So I ask individuals to thinking about, and we can do it specifically to abundance, poverty, mindset, money, jobs, career, write down a list on a sheet of paper of your core beliefs. What do you believe about yourself as it relates to that issue, that topic, that challenge? It could be positive, negative, or neutral beliefs, but go ahead and write them all down. What's going to happen is you're going to probably write down a lot of beliefs that you have learned and internalized throughout your life. Some of them may be helpful and some of them may be harmful or hurtful. 
So then I ask individuals to, when they're done writing, go down the list, circle any belief that you feel like is serving you and is going to help you get to the next stage of your life and cross out any belief that you think is limiting you or preventing you from reaching the next stage of your life that you no longer want to have that belief as you move forward. And then the final step is next to any of those beliefs you crossed out, reframe or rewrite the belief to be something that you do want to bring with you into the next stage of your life. Give yourself new beliefs. Awesome. Yeah, It's interesting um, that you bring that up because that's actually a tip or a suggestion. It's very similar. It's not exactly the same, but it's uh, one of the tools that we have folks go through when they go through the five tips for overcoming limiting beliefs. And we have a toolbox um, for individuals who want to be happy, healthy gay men. And what's one of the exercises that we go through, it's very, it's very similar, but it's, it's this kind of how do we reverse the conditioning, right? I think we're easy. It's easy for us to pull out of our minds the things that we think. But it's hard for us to actually say then, are these actually true? Are they yes. serving me? Are they, yes. we, we, I think we hold on to them sometimes. But if we were to actually say, is this really true? Is it true that you are this, you will never have enough? Well, you, you have the vast majority of people have enough, right? I mean, yeah. that's one of the things I, I think to, you compare yourself to, Compare myself to a gay man living in Uganda or a gay man living in Iran. I have so much more than a lot of other folks in the world have. And so I have to remind myself of that. And that's kind of that whole idea of undoing what we believe. Yes, that, that is, that's the key. It's you, you learn something somewhere along the way, served a purpose. It's no longer serving that purpose. So let's rewrite it. Yeah, exactly. Any other tips that you have for creating this kind of plan to undo the poverty mindset? Yeah. Another thing I, I like to suggest is um, give yourself permission to dream. Like give yourself time, sit, meditate, or or write it down. But like just dream really, really, really big about all the things you might want to do or accomplish or have in your life. And notice like where you get a little uncomfortable, where you get a little nervous, but try and push through that. And that's not to say you're going to achieve every single dream you write down or you come up with, but giving yourself the chance and permission to do that can feel extremely liberating. I think that that's a really good exercise for folks who are getting ready to go on a job interview or entrepreneurs who are kind of diving into what they think they can do, what they think they can create when it comes to a business, the kind of life that they are able to really create for themselves. I'll tell you from personal experience, the first year that John and I went into business uh, as debt-free guys... I think I went in with a very, very scarcity mindset mm. of no, we would never, we won't earn enough money to take care of ourselves. And yes. it's, it's like, like you mentioned when you lost your job last year, it's so easy just to revert back to that kind of scarcity mindset. So easy. When we want to get rid of these thoughts or this mindset, what do we need to do 
can we just go through these exercises or is there something more? Do we need to plan a plan of action to do this? Yeah, definitely a plan of action is helpful. I think creating the goal or intention that you want to change your mindset is probably the place to start. If you've identified that this is something you're grappling with, you have to make that commitment with yourself that, okay, I want to change this. And that can be super hard for folks. If you've had this mindset your whole life, this is what's comfortable for you. It's going to be uncomfortable switching to an abundance mindset. But so as long as you're committed you can definitely get there. So I, I think once you've committed to it, once you've made that your goal, you can then begin to focus on, okay, which part of my life, where do I want to see more abundance come out? Where do I want to release some of that scarcity thinking? Let's say it's career and job. Then within that, give yourself a goal that would be led by abundance rather than led by fear. Maybe it's, I want to apply for a, a higher paying position. Once you have that goal, just kind of work backwards from there and give yourself small achievable steps in chunks that you can take in order to eventually reach and attain that goal. It's really, I think it's really important to put that out there. I think that there's a lot of folks who get scared when they start to do something yes. like that, right? It's the... This is kind of in line with the exercise you talked about before. Where do you start to feel uncomfortable? That's where you know where your mindset is mm -hmm. preventing you from having more. It's not wrong to want more, especially no. if you're coming from a place of need, of lack. It's it's not wrong to want more. It's not wrong to want more so that you can take care of yourself. It's not wrong to want more so that you can have abundance, so that you can save for the future, so that you can have an emergency savings, so that you can give back to the community. It's not wrong to want any of that. And so it's that's a really hard process to undo that. So I really like that kind of pushing yourself to the edge with your goals and your dreaming to get yourself on a better path. Yes. And I love what you just said about it's not wrong. I think folks might find it really helpful to have some sort of a affirmation that they carry with them on this journey. Something like I deserve more or I'm worth more because the other way to look about it is that if you are truly living in line with your mission and your purpose and you are getting more, you're getting more so that you can give more. You're not getting more so that you can keep it all to yourself and hoard it and just become this rich megalomaniac. <laughs> You're getting more so that you can do more with your life. You can have more of an impact on the world. And so you getting more means the rest of us are going to get more. Right. And I'll tie this to, uh, to entrepreneurs, partly because it comes from a personal space. But I think I see this a lot with a, a lot of other entrepreneurs, especially folks in the LGBT community entrepreneurs especially because that's from speaking from a personal experience here but also i think from what we see going on in, in the lgbt community with other entrepreneurs that there's we need to remember that there's nothing wrong with making money when you help people there are so many people out there in the world today doing good work and they are helping people but they charge right you have doctors you have nurses, you have therapists, you have teachers, you have individuals who are providing good, honest help to the community and to 
the individuals that they can serve, and they would not be able to do that if they could not earn a living so that they can live a sustainable or even an abundant life. There's nothing wrong with that. When someone judges you or you judge someone else for making money off of providing a service, you may have a poverty mindset or that individual may have a poverty mindset. Don't listen to that. You should be able to live a sustainable, abundant life. If you enjoy providing a service, it is 100% okay to make money off of that. Preach, sister. <laughs> yes, such a beautiful sentiment. Don't belittle your worth and your value. And I, I think this really happens. I see a lot of people in the therapy and even in the arts space of individuals who feel like they cannot charge or they shouldn't mm -hmm. be charging that much because it's wrong for them to charge that much. If your service is valuable and good, people will pay you for it, and it is 100% okay for you to make money so that you can keep doing that and do it more. Absolutely. If I can share some uh, a saying that my husband always says, if you think about when you're on an airplane and they go through all the safety procedures, they always tell you if the oxygen masks come down, you have to put your oxygen mask on first before you can help someone else with theirs. And that is the exact same thing that we're talking about here. You have to take care of yourself so that you can then go and do whatever it is you're meant to do. Absolutely. I love that analogy. Another parallel analogy, or I guess simile analogy, is the idea of looking at your cup. And if your cup isn't running over, you don't really have anything to give people. If your cup yes. is, is, is below the, 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 the top of the cup, if your water is, is below the top of the cup and you're giving to other people, you're actually taking from yourself to give to other people. And net net, you're not really helping the community or you're not really helping nope. society because you're hurting yourself in the process. And when your cup runneth over, I think the Bible says, then you have <laughs> that abundance to give to other people. Yes, a thousand percent. Such a religious episode. I know. Today. <laughs> we need to get sponsored by the Catholic yes, I was going to say, this, this episode brought to you by the, by the other side of religion, the positive side right. of religion. So I think this has been a, a wonderful conversation. And there's so many parallels uh, to our message and your message. I, I, I could just talk about this all day. And I know David could as well. So where can our listeners find out more about you and follow you online and connect with you if, if they if they'd like to work with you. Yes, amazing. Um, so listeners can definitely head over to my website, which is liberatedlivingcoaching.com. And they can also check me out on Instagram. My handle is Matthew underscore Raymond 18. Awesome. And we'll put all that information in the show notes for folks uh, who want to connect with you and can so they can easily do so. Well, Matthew, thank you so much for coming on the show. This has been widely entertaining and enjoyable and, and nurturing for us. So we want to thank you so much for reaching out to us and we'd love to have you on. Yes, me too. This was such a joy. I loved getting to know you both a little bit better. Thank you. How does your bank support the LGBT community? Not at all? For Pride in June? Or 365 days a year? Capital One proudly supports the LGBT community throughout the year. Maybe it's time to support a bank that supports us. Go to debtfreeguys.com forward slash cafe for more info. Queer Money is being brought to you in part by the five building blocks of a happy gay life. Join the growing community of happy, healthy, and wealthy gay men who love their lives inside and out. Get your free copy of the five building blocks of a happy gay life at debtfreeguys.com 
forward slash happy. Wow. Thank you, Matthew, for a great episode. So much of your message parallels with ours. It's kind of creepy or it's LOA, LOL. <laughs> to your listeners, here's your queer money takeaway from this episode. Do the work to determine if you have a poverty mindset. If you identify that you do have a poverty mindset or you already know that you do, do the work to overcome it, just as Matthew explained. It's possible, and it's beneficial to you and the whole queer community. And there are resources to help you. If you resonated with Matthew's message, visit him at liberatedlivingcoaching.com. If we can help you in any way, shape, or form, sign up for the Happy, Healthy, Wealthy Gay Men's Toolbox at debtfreeguys.com forward slash 275. Finally, have an abundant week. From Los Angeles, California to Winooski, Vermont, we're taking queer money on the road. Join us as we gamify personal finance with Queer Money Bingo or catch our signature Live Fabulously, Not Fabulously Broke Talk and so much more in between. Check out QueerMoneyPodcast.com forward slash tour or the link in your podcast player regularly for date and location updates.